0: Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Carbonite.com online backup. It's automatic and secure for your home and small business computer file starting at only $59 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWIP are Nikon and Canon working on entry-level full-frame DSLRs, a teenager petitioned Seventeen Magazine to publish non-airbrushed images, the Olympics is looking to ban the sharing of photos via social networks, home-furnishing giant Ikea getting into the camera market, and an interview with the founder of GlamourCon, Bob Schultz. It's Wednesday, May 2nd, 2012, and this is Twip. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today, there's a lot of stuff to talk about today. We're going to be talking about Nikon and Canon and some entry-level, full-frame, Ron Brinkman, DSLRs that they're, uh, they're working on. Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> this is a smackdown, baby. Uh it. We're going to talk about a teenager who was petitioning Seventeen Magazine to publish non-airbrushed photos, which I find that really interesting. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the Olympics um, and their proposed ban or the idea. I I don't even know if this is proposed or if it's in the works, that they're going to be banning posting photos of the Olympic Games to social networks. So we're going to talk about, is that even enforceable and what? And then uh, finally, IKEA is getting into the camera business. So look out Nikon and Canon, IKEA maybe throwing their hat into the ring. So, joining me to tackle these topics and more are Mr. Ron Brinkman and Mr. Doug K. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, Doug, where? Uh, what have you been up to?
1: Uh, I've been doing so many podcasts these days, I can't believe it. But actually, what I've been spending most of my time on is printing. It's my new passion. Oh. We can talk about it later if you want. But I have been... Uh, just incredibly involved with printing my images and I've been loving it.
0: Really? Oh. Yeah. So uh, you know uh, we can't talk about that later but cuz I'm curious to know when, why and I talked to Martin about this I think live on the show and offline we were we were just having a little Skype conversation we were talking about why you'd want to do that rather than just calibrate to a lab and send your stuff digitally and get it back in the mail. So yeah, I want to hear I want to hear your experiences on that. Um, also, you see him down at the bottom for those folks in the hangout watching this. There's Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron.
2: Hello. How are you
0: doing? I'm um, doing great. You sound great today. You look great today. You got your lighting, your audio, Feeling everything's nailed. I've, I've
2: modified my color balance.
0: Look at that. So it's all good. And you got your little pencil going on. You know, you're you're just ready to roll. What yep. you, what's what's going down there? What's going on in Hermosa Beach down there?
2: Uh, I've been busily working on a little iPhone app that I cannot talk about just quite yet. You just did, can, You
0: just did. The next
2: time, well, <laughs> the next time I'm on this show, we will talk about it in depth. It's photography related. It's kind of fun. You know, it's more of a toy than a world changer, but I think people will enjoy it. So excellent.
1: Ron, 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 the... are, you, are you a composite image right now? You look like a composite. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, yeah he's I not really a, there. He's not. I not am there. visual <laughs> effect. And then uh, there's perfect timing. Also, joining us on the show is Mr. Martin Bailey back there. We, hey, Martin, we were just talking about Doug. Doug has been bitten by the. I need to buy more ink for my printer bug because he's printing a lot now. Uh, so we're gonna okay. we're gonna chat about that. In fact, he wanted to make your book making the print your ebook his pick of the week, but I told him he couldn't because I already done it. I already did it. <laughs> no, it's fine. He can. I'm sure he can. Yeah. <laughs> we can have repeat picks of the week. Come on. <laughs> so, so Martin, you just joined us. I was just going doing the roundtable on you know what's new, what's new in your neck of the woods.
3: Oh, uh, I, um, I've been working on the the plans for the latter half of the year again, and i uh, I've been in a little bit of flux because a number of the expeditions that I was due to go on have disappeared. So I'm. Oh. Uh, I've now got time on my hands to do some of the stuff that I wanted to do, which is probably going to involve visiting you guys over in the States and oh, cool. uh, yeah, doing a bit of, a bit of uh, stuff around printing, actually, a, a digital work, color management and printing work, workshop and things like that. So stay tuned for that. It Very be cool.
0: Well, well, let us know how we can help get the word out about that. That sounds good, especially if I can get a free seat. I mean, if I could attend. <laughs> 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 of
3: course, of course. <laughs>
0: I'm just, you know, I'm just kidding. I will pay my, <laughs> I will pay my discounted rate. I mean, I will pay the uh, rate. To- <laughs>
3: I wouldn't hear of it, Frederick.
0: Uh, so, well, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, before we roll into this week's news, I want to give a nod out to. Our sponsor, this episode of This Week in Photo, is brought to you by Carbonite. They are the folks behind Online Backup. Essentially, they make your life on the computer and your livelihood and your small business safe. So, basically... Basically, the idea is to be really protected i mean to be really sort of safe with your data, you can have all sorts of backups at your house and redundancies and that sort of thing. But in order to be truly safe, you need off site and online backup or as they say these days in the cloud, so which essentially just means on a server that 's not at your physical location so that 's what carbonite does. They automatically back up your files and not only do they back them up like when we think of backup. Most people just say, hey, I'm going to copy my files from this point to that point, and they're backed up. But then what happens after that backup, that first backup happens? You might create new data, more emails come in, you take more pictures, and then now you have a delta between the old and the new. So what Carbonite does is they're continually backing up your data. So as you make changes, it pumps them up to the cloud so that you always have the latest and greatest in both sites. In both places. And then, like I was saying before, they're safely stored off site. So, if some sort of catastrophe happens at your house, you get a break in or some sort of natural disaster, then you can restore from carbonite. So, you know, of course, you had to go get another computer if there was flood damage, but all of your data, which is the stuff that is really important, is safe. So, right now, over 1 million customers are using carbonite to protect their home and their small business computer files, and their pricing starts at uh, $59 a year, and the other cool thing is you can access your backed up files privately on any computer, on your smartphone, Android, or iOS phone, or your iPad, using the free app, so if you, something happens, and you, maybe it's not a disaster, maybe you're just traveling, and you need a file that was on your home machine, and you've chosen to back up that folder, you can essentially just pull it back down. So check them out, Carbonite. You can start a free trial today over at Carbonite.com. Just use the offer code offer code TWIP, TWIP, and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy it. That's Carbonite.com with the offer code TWIP. All right, guys. First thing up in the news is uh, I think Ron, you and I are going to go head to head right now <laughs> because I've been
2: looking forward to this. <laughs>
0: I mean, I got the. I'm taking the gloves off. The gloves are off. I'm ready for you because you. Right. Uh, I don't know how many years ago this was. That'd be, it was more than a year, maybe even two years ago. Mm-hmm. You made the statement that I. I'm, I'm paraphrasing and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said yeah, something I will to the correct effect. You, I bet it's going to be wrong. You said something to the effect that uh, cropped sensor cameras were the wave of the future. <laughs> and and I I countered that saying no full frame sensors are the wave of the future and right, why would it enough. you know of course bigger is better you know so yes
2: fair enough I, I I think you may have characterized it as crop sensor going away yes and and uh, but yes let's talk about this news <laughs> yeah and, uh, so what how this relates to Ron our, Brayman, our little what is what is the news the, uh, what's the news how many How many tokens we had uh, wagered on this?
0: I think it was. I thought it was like four hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. Yeah,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I put that that number down there. (laughs) So what's the news, Ron? Uh, So the the news this was uh, covered on on Petapixel is that uh, Canon is possibly working on an entry level full frame DSLR, and this is sort of coming right on the heels of the rumors that Nikon is working on an entry level full frame DSLR. Uh, both for potentially released later on this year. And, um, yeah. Is it going to happen? I, I, it actually wouldn't surprise me. So, the, I mean, and the I, point is... Up till
0: recently, even this news, the full frame world was exclusive to the advanced amateurs and the pros. On the Nikon side, it was the D seven, yep. you know, is the D seven hundred and above, right? Those those were the cameras that had the full frames. And if you're a pro, of course, you need all those those pixels. If you're not a pro, then you know you you put up with the D seven thousand and its crop frame sensor, and and yes. and the the. Uh, the, the similar camera bodies on the Canon side and Sony, of course. So what I'm saying and what my argument was is the the trajectory of these sensors is not going to be flat and, okay, crop sensors are, you know, they're just something that we're going to live with and we're going to deal with them. The, my, my argument was full frame and getting every little bit that your lens has to offer is the wave of the future. So why would you go, why would you go, why would you ever want to go smaller?
2: Well, yeah. I, I, that statement you just made of getting every little bit your lens have to offer is is certainly one of the reasons. Since a lot of lenses don't offer nearly as much around the edges of it, right? It, it's still a it's still a, a cost benefit I mean, I, I love full frame. I'm not at all this advocate for everything should be crop sensor because I want to be able to zoom in farther or something like that. I'm mostly, backpedal, back I'm mostly pedal,
0: back pedal, back <laughs>
2: pedal. You, you you can look at look at all the photos on my blogs and. I, they're almost always really wide angle, so for me, you know, a, a larger sensor has a lot of benefits. Yeah, but you know, just looking at the realistically about the cost of making all these things, I still, I, you cannot tell me that an entry level Nikon or Canon full frame is still going to come in at the same price as one of these crop sensor cameras. I don't believe it. I don't you know. It so? may
0: push them down, though. I mean, like, like Doug, I want to get you to weigh in on this, too, and, and you as well, Martin. So the rumored price of this – so the D600 that Nikon is talking about putting out is 24 megapixels, full frame, with a, a rumored price of $1,500. And currently, the cheapest full frame cameras are around the $2,500 mark, right? Mm-hmm. So, so are we just seeing things shift down? So the, the full-frame cameras are going to get cheaper and cheaper, but like Ron is saying, we're still going to have crop sensors, and those are just going to get dirt cheap. Is that, is that what's going to happen, or are they just going to go away?
1: Well, certainly we've seen Nikon with the D800, for example, be pretty aggressive on price, I think. I think everybody was surprised that that camera was as inexpensive as possible, uh, or as it was. You know, Frederick, you and I talked about the uh, Fuji X-Pro1 yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's a $1,700 camera, uh, and that's a crop sensor camera. It costs $200 more than this rumored D600. Yeah. I have a I have a, a used D700 full frame. Uh, those are going for about $1,800 used. And if, in fact, this rumor turns out to be true, that's going to pretty much kill the price of those. Yeah, uh, so I better sum mine really fast. Um, you know, I, I, there are a couple of things about this, and we could spend a whole show on the full frame versus crop frame argument, which I know we already have. And if you add up all the time we've spent on the show in past episodes, but this, I want to say we crop sensors. Yeah, right. <laughs> I want to say one thing about that, which is I think that there's a myth about it. You know, so many people hear, oh, a crop sensor is essentially a 1.5 magnification of your lens the fact is that it it isn't it gives a very very different look if you take you know 100 millimeter lens on a full frame camera and just crop it the the sense of telephoto compression the depth of field have not changed at all
2: yeah.
1: whereas on a on a crop f- uh, frame camera um, you, you know you're, you know, if that's all you're doing is cropping it's not the same as getting let's say a 65 or 60 millimeter lens on a crop body It's just not the same thing. And so I think those of us who are lucky enough to have full-frame cameras know that we don't just have wider images. We have a totally different look, really, to them.
0: Yeah. Where do you where do you fall on this, Martin? Is a uh, you know this whole argument? And I don't I don't even know if it's an argument. It's an argument between Ron Brinkman and me. But the whole the whole idea that Crow- for the <laughs>
2: record, the argument is 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 on the the future of the availability, not on the. Uh, oh, uh, now we're better. put now we're putting footnotes on the bed. Uh, oh, I yeah. see how it goes. I am right? I am making clear. What the vet was as you try to obfuscate it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm trying to make it clearer. I'm just trying you to know. be
0: clear about how you know you were so <laughs> so blatantly wrong. Anyway, right- <laughs> <laughs> Martin. Martin, what do you think about this whole this whole debate?
3: Well, I, I think that there's. I, I I too. I mean, I I was very happy when the um the full frame sensors came out. I jumped on it straight away. And actually, until I bought the one D Mark. Four with the one point three crop factor um i i hadn't used i'd been using full frame for for a while um so I certainly myself i prefer full frame um and partly because of the reasons that doug stated but th- I know that as well that there are a lot of people i mean a lot of the wildlife work that i do they they love the seven d for example because of the crop factor they like to get that extra one point six magnification out of their um, or crop out of their long lenses and when you when you're talking about you know six five six hundred millimeter lenses and things like that they're pretty big it's It takes a lot of logistics just getting those around the planet to shoot um, and if you can use a shorter lens and get the same or, or longer focal length then it's I do see the the um you know the attraction there. So I think there's, there's probably going to be a market for them for a long while still because, um, especially with the really long lenses, you, you you get a very shallow depth of field anyway. Even if you go out to like f8 or f11, this, the depth of field is still relatively shallow. So having a bit of a, a help there with the crop factor, you know, slightly deeper depth of field is not always a bad thing either for wildlife especially. So I think that there's an application for them. Um and because of that, I think they'll continue to be manufactured, but I think that the the initial reason for these crop factors was because, and I think I, I think I, met, I heard Ron talk about this a, a while ago when this argument, which has been very a lot of fun by the way, um, <laughs> came up. I, uh, I I think it was it was mentioned that they're really there because, actually, it might have been Frederick that said this, I can't remember, but <laughs> they originally came about because there was, it was a compromise, you know, the full frame was going to be too expensive to create, and they they basically said, okay, we can make a smaller one, and we can put that in the camera for $1,000 less, and at the time, I mean, it was the only thing that was that was available, but it was a compromise because you know most people would like to have seen the 35 millimetre full frame, but it just wasn't possible at the time because it was too expensive. And now the the costs of manufacturing are coming down. The R and D has got us to a point where it's possible to make cheaper. And I mean, let's face it. Once they've created a sensor of that size for a, for a, a more expensive camera the dollars come rolling in and they, they recuperate their costs and it's, it becomes easier for them from a business perspective to put that same sensor even in a, in a cheaper body. And, uh, so I think that they, it's going to happen. There's, mm-hmm. there's no way. I mean, it's like I, I'm a, I remember paying $8,000 for my 1DS Mark III thinking I'd got the best camera in the world at the moment mm-hmm. and then within a year the 5D Mark II came out with virtually the same sensor. Yeah, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this is now two and a half thousand dollars. What? What? Why did I pay three times for the for the, I mean, obviously, I know the weatherproofing. I still buy one series bodies because I need that weatherproofing. Yeah. But it's it's there, you know. I mean, it, it it rolls down as as time goes by. The the technology from the the better cameras rolls down to the lesser ones, and it makes it more um, accessible to the market. And I, I think it's, yeah, that's the way it's going to go. But I don't think that crop factors are going to go away. They'll just become more. Of a, a specialist camera. Well, I think, but, I know. you know, so on I the other run. side,
2: well, there's the, you know, you got you also have to consider micro four thirds in that format in here, yeah. right? It's yeah. obviously a crop sensor thing. And I mean, the thing I love about micro four thirds is the amazing lens variety that's become available for that now. I mean, where else can you buy, you know, f zero point nine five lenses, and not just one, but a few different models that, that do that kind of thing. Yeah. And hmm. part of that is because, you know, with the smaller size of the sensor, you can make smaller lenses, it's less expensive right. to do lenses that are still extraordinarily high quality. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, it's always a trade-off of all these different variables in there. And, you know, I, it may be that your kind of ideal kit that still doesn't cost you an arm and a leg is something where you've got a full frame, uh, you know, maybe mid to even the lower end sort of thing as is, is your studio camera, if you will, and then the one that you're willing to carry around with you most of the time. Uh, is a Micro Four Thirds. I can I can almost see myself having that kind of a setup at least.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I was thinking that earlier when we were talking about the the fact that it uh, wastes the the ed- edges of your um, your lenses. And mm-hmm. in in fact, I mean, if you buy EFS lenses, even on a a full frame, on you know, full frame on a on a DSLR camera, if you buy the EFS lenses for Canon, then you're ult- you're all already getting buying a lens that has a smaller image circle by default. So you're not really wasting anything and and taking that to the to where we are now with the the micro four thirds as you say Ron it's exactly it. I mean you're not wasting anything because they're designed for that that exactly. size sensor. Yeah,
0: it's it's purpose built. So Doug Kay, on your side is there in the future do you think there's a world where we'll see at the top end full frame dslr bodies the middle end the micro four-thirds and then at the bottom is just your you know your iphone and your android cameras that are that are picking up the the slack there
1: yeah absolutely and i think i would guess that most photographers who have a full-frame camera body also have either a crop you know, APS-C or a Micro Four Thirds as well. I know, you know, you do, Frederick. Mm-hmm. I do. I think the other guys on the show do too. I'm still looking for a smaller camera. You know, we talked about the Fuji X-Pro1. Next week, I'm going to have my hands on a Sony NEX7, and we might want to do a review of that one too. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm looking for something either Micro Four Thirds or APS-C uh, that I can carry as a really easy second camera or... or when I really want to travel light, my only cameras. Uh, you know, the, the full-frame ones are still a little heavy.
2: Yeah, Yep. that's that's what it comes down to for me as well. I, I really do, I mean, if I have to make a prediction about where it's going in five to ten years, I personally think that the whole paradigm that we're seeing with, you know, a single sensor and all that kind of stuff is going to change so radically that you almost can't compare what you've got going on. You know, you're going to see litro-like cameras that are so much more computationally based, and, and there's just going to be so much more sort of horsepower that you can throw at these images with some of the data you're going to gather, mm-hmm. that some of these things that the full-frame sensor gets you are not – you're not going to have to have a full-frame sensor to get there. You're going to have post-processing control over your depth of field, for instance. Yeah. So suddenly, you know, your, your, your need for a full-frame sensor becomes less because of things like that. The light, mm-hmm. sensor, light sensitivity of these things is going to be so much greater that you know, you're going to have less need for it. Now, granted, you're always going to want to be able to shoot in as dark a light as possible, but at some point you'll probably hit a limit where it's practical and necessary, and so it becomes this huge matrix of trade-offs again. So it's going to be interesting to see what it... Even five years from now, I'm not sure that this paradigm we're operating under is going to look that similar to what we've got now. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's scary when you look at things like
0: you know CS6 and the the, the trajectory that the content-aware tools are taking... Um, just the stuff that you can do now, we didn't even dream about being able to do that when Photoshop 2 and 3, you know, remember remember Photoshop 3 when we got layers and we were like, okay, <laughs> now we're, we're pulling pixels out of thin air and making stuff, you know, so <laughs> it's crazy. And that was just a few short years ago. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy the direction this stuff is going. And then you overlay that with how uh, – you overlay the, the computational – digital imaging stuff that adobe's working on and other companies like that and then what canon nikon sony olympus all those guys are working on on the hardware side with the sensors and all this magic and you put all that stuff together it's it's almost impossible to get your brain around where this stuff might be even a year or two years from now but the good news is it's going to be good for us as image makers it's just uh yeah it's hard to guess now crazy stuff
1: we better make some new bets so we can revisit that next year.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of winning, Ron. Ron, you know, Ron's an easy
2: bet. I need to take Ron to Vegas. <laughs> I, I, I think the window that we did it with, then I should have collected by now. So <laughs> yeah. It, and actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think I made that same bet with Scott Bourne. He's already acknowledged that I won it. So yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so. But
3: it, it must be true. Then it must be true,
2: yes. right?
0: All right, let's move on to story number 2. This was really interesting. This is about a teenager that has petitioned 17 magazine to publish non-airbrush images. So th- a 13-year-old, Julia Blum, has has asked 17 magazine to commit to, you know, to put real images out there. And this we've talked about this before on the show, and there's been lots of back and forth. And I think where we generally net out at is that you know, if you're not If you're not trying to create news and represent reality, then it's okay because then it it crosses over the line into art. But if you are trying to – and then on the other hand, if you're trying to create Art, or you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily trying to do an accurate or create an accurate rendition of the world or a person, then all bets are off and all pixels were born to be punished, yada, 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 yada. So, uh, Martin, I want to throw it to you first on this retouching issue, you know, specifically as it applies to Julia Blum from the, uh, from, you know, petitioning 17 magazine, just really like binary. It, Is she right? Is she wrong? I mean, should we be putting retouched 17-year-old or teenagers on magazine covers? Or should we just let them go up there, zits and all?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll tell you what. I think what I would say is... uh the odds, it then that's not <laughs> that's not such a that's not such a big thing because they're fleeting they'll be gone in a few days yeah um, but if you're
0: a teen, you wouldn't be saying that if you were a teenage girl i bet well if yeah you know. i mean i, I understand the uh,
3: <laughs> yeah. the cosmetic things there but i i think that the thing is is that they i i can in my own i mean i do portrait work as as a, a sideline to my uh, photography business and I I do very little retouching and um, partly because the work that I do is is usually for families and they don't really necessarily need to look like a Hollywood star but they um, what I will do is if if I shoot someone and, and it just so happens that the daughter got a zit in the middle of her cheek the day before she turned up for the shoot I'll remove it as yeah. a as a a politeness sure. but I don't so I don't soften skin or anything like that I generally Tend, I try to um, just create as beautiful an image with the lighting that I've got. And you can, you can go a long way with some good lighting. And, and I know that the people that are shooting for these magazines are already knowing that, and they, they're using good lighting. Um, but I think that if you get a pretty girl in front of the camera, light them well, and shoot the, 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 do the shoot, you're going to come up with images that are already very, very pretty. Mm-hmm. And I would prefer to see those go into the magazines and just show a pretty girl as she is, I mean then they 're not selecting your your less pretty people for those magazines in the first place,, yeah. so just put them in there as they are, and let the let the people the young generation the the seventeen year olds or, or you know the younger um, people that are looking at these magazines and thinking, "Oh no, I need to be like i, I got to be like that, or i 'm a lesser human being mm-hmm. going on all all sorts of crazy diets and and probably harming the, their bodies for life. It's I, I would prefer to see a more natural approach. Show a pretty girl as a pretty girl, but don't overdo it. And, and it's like those those Photoshop disasters with like wire thin arms and things. I I just I, I don't know. I mean, you, sometimes it's obvious, but sometimes it isn't. And I, I think that I, I I would support this in that I I don't necessarily necessarily want to see that pretty girl with no makeup on and and sort of you know and Maybe put a black and white filter on there so that all of the freckles that aren't quite visible all pop up. And, you know, not that there's anything wrong with freckles. I've got a bunch of them. But um, I I just, I think, I don't necessarily want to see a really nasty image because that's not necessary either. But I I agree that we we should be a little bit easier on the airbrush and and show things as they are and, and... I'm trying to protect the younger generation a little bit more.
0: I've got my own <clears throat> my own opinions on that, which I'll share after I get you guys to dig your hole. I mean to respond. So, uh, <laughs> so Ron, Ron, what do you what do you think about this? Retouch or no retouch? I think
2: I think a lot of protests like this, you've got to look at it and recognize that the the reason for doing them isn't always because you expect the outcome to be what you're asking for, so much as it's an excellent way to raise awareness of something. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's great that, you know, what she's doing is is obviously we're talking about it. She's gotten press about this sort of thing. Uh, and I could see a world where certain magazines do decide that they're going to be the place that, you know, reflects the reality a little bit more accurately. Mm-hmm. And I can see kind of a backlash among, you know, the younger generation saying that's what they want to see as well. I mean, I hope it happens because I think it would be healthy. Uh, but even, you know, even if it doesn't, I don't expect a lot of magazines will change over to this mode the fact that she's getting the word out there and kind of and many other people have done it too and sort of raising awareness of this i think that's the important part that people need to understand and i think it i don't think that everybody still quite gets it you know we're certainly on top of it a little bit more but i think this this does the right thing in raising awareness with a
0: lot of people i think i think for in a lot of ways it's binary. I mean, it's you know magazines make their money through advertising, and what makeup manufacturer is going to want to sell makeup to a magazine with a kid or someone on the cover that doesn 't look good you know or and, and I, I look at it from the standpoint of you know I agree with both of you guys you know I agree with you know the 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 unrealistic per representation of people that drives other normal people to try to reach that thereby harming themselves but on the other hand, which there always there 's always the other hand. On the other hand, you got to consider the show, you know, or the mechanism. In this case, is Seventeen Magazine. I look at it like if I'm watching, say, America's Next Top Model. Right? I want everybody in there to look flawless. I mean, I don't care what they do. They can retouch. They can rotoscope every frame in there to make everybody perfect because that's what they're supposed to be. It's supposed to. It's supposed to be a, a show about people looking unrealistically beautiful. In some case, you know. But then, if you look at a reality show. I'm okay with them being flawed. I'm okay with seeing whatever whatever, you know, in there because it's it's contextual. It's supposed to be like that. And if you try to push the reality show into the America's Next Top Model camp, I'm not going to watch America's <laughs> Next Top Model cuz I don't want to see that stuff over there. I I look at that show because I weren't I want a certain kind of you know, visual nutrition, and I look at this show because I want another kind of entertainment or visual nutrition. I don't know. What, what are you? Uh, but Doug? okay, but you know, I'll, no. Go ahead, Ron. Uh, well, yeah.
2: now, let me let, let me let me ask you a question. though, first. I, I come out of the visual effects world, right? And and I have in the past done things on movies to make actresses thinner. For instance, I, do you want to watch a you know a world top model where everything has been so processed that you don't even know if the the people that are winning these things are forty pounds heavier than what they really are? I mean is it, is that interesting to you? Kind of, yeah. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> and and it, because it's what, not about what it's point. not about the mechanics it, that got them is. there.
0: You know, it's not about the mechanics. It's about I mean, maybe it's it's lizard brain of me to be thinking like this, but'm you know I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm saying when you when you look at these things, you don't look at them for the meaning of life
2: you know you're looking at them to be entertained. No, I, I don't want to see reality that, you know I, I get that, but you know how you can take that to the next thing where it's getting very, very close to being able to do fully realistic, completely CG people uh, you know where you can guarantee that the body is 100 percent to some perfect standard awesome Awesome. Uh, Are you going to watch those? I I mean, you know what I mean. I mean, it's
0: just like, if I want that, then if there's a show that was designed around using 100% CG people and it was a brilliant show, then that's what I want. Don't give me that show with these perfect, idealistic, quote, unquote, people in it, and then one day, because somebody protested, you're going to put real people in there. I'm not going to watch the show anymore, right? Because I'm watching it for a certain reason. Uh.
2: But if enough people protest and enough people complain and the advertisers, advertisers get the message, then that will drive the direction of the show. And I think that's really what it's about, right? It's, yeah. Is if you get enough, it, it all depends on what the audience wants. And yeah. if they're kind of screwed up in their head like you are, then, you know... <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you know, advertisers, you know, it, there's a lot of advertisers out there, so they could easily drop Maybelline and add in, you know, pharmaceuticals that sell catheters, right? So it's, <laughs> it's easy. Doug, Doug, where do you fall on this? I mean, retouch or don't retouch?
1: Well, I, I think there are sort of two very different levels of this. The first is, you know, you, anyone who shot. A good model, a pro model, knows how gorgeous these people are. I mean, they're spectacular. But they do have zits once in a while, right? Or they have something a little out of place. Retouching has been, is been part of publishing for as long as any of us can remember. That's for sure, and a lot longer. I think there's a whole different level here, which is altering body shapes. And I think if you look at some of the online stuff about this, that's sort of the extra level of complaint. I mean you know, one could actually make the complaint that magazines shouldn't feature beautiful people because then ever, all the young girls will think they should be beautiful. The fact yeah. is that, you know... Yeah. Um, that, that, I does know just, they,
0: that does a disservice. I, I, I have a problem with that statement because that assumes, <laughs> that presumes that all young girls are stupid and impressionable. I mean, no, I think they, just, that's I'm like saying, that, that, if, you play, yeah. if you listen to rap music, you're going to go kill people.
1: I mean... Okay, so... So Intelligent Life magazine, a couple of months ago, put up an unairbrushed cover with Kate uh, Blanchett. Yeah, you know she's a gorgeous woman, and you're still going to look at that and say, if you're a young, young girl, Kate's not that young, but you might say, "I wish I could look like that and all that. I, I think there's a big difference between retouching and you know pulling in somebody's waist, enlarging their chest, all that kind of stuff anyway. I mean you know maybe women with breast enhancement shouldn't be on covers of magazines either. You know, uh, you know, physical ones. So I, I think the... Yeah, I know. You won't bite them. Right. I'm not saying <laughs> anything. Don't
0: try to... <laughs> Doug do not, not try, try to bait me. Do not try You're to right. bait me. It's not going to work. Uh,
1: <laughs> the fact is that I think that there's, there, are, there is a big difference between the retouching and the body shape altering uh, type of modifications. And then there's the whole question of who gets on the cover, and if you know, if you don't put beautiful people on covers, you don't sell magazines. Thank
0: you. Yeah, and you don't get advertisers, so you don't make any money. That's right. So, so
1: that's that's not going to change.
0: Yeah. So seventeen could be they maybe they change their name to something else, and they become a a reality. Yeah, fifty
1: seven. Right.
0: <laughs> seventeen is right. now rebranding to fifty seven uh, right. magazine, right. And, right, and all,
1: and you know. And the thing about 17 is that you know I think the average age of the buyer is probably about 10 or 11. Yeah. So, or you know, or I'm a 45
0: gonna... year old and male, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, that's a whole different show right there. You know. Well, you know I was
1: in the grocery store line today, no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll well, cool. make you a bet,
0: Frederick. What's that? <laughs> I'll make you a bet. <laughs> you want to make me a bet? Oh,
1: please. wait. Wait, wait. I want to write this down. <laughs>
2: No, I I bet that there will either be a major magazine like this or, or, you know, these days a website that does this, that caters to the same sort of audience that takes a stand and makes a decision that none of their images will be Photoshopped, you know, beyond just uh, very basic cosmetic stuff. Okay, uh, or, what, what, or what window of time? Let's make this bet. I'm going to take it. Uh, sometime in the next, I don't know, two years. I bet somebody will take that stand. Now, whether that lasts... I, I, I won't take that bet, but I bet somebody will do it. If not, you know, for no other reason. As so they may fold, but they'll start the magazine. Yeah. Well, so I mean, this it, is a print a, magazine, right? Like physical it's paper. To
1: differentiate themselves, you know. Uh, exactly. Is this yeah, a physical I, I, paper I,
2: magazine I, run that you see? Yeah. My yeah. problem with that is that there's, there's so much of them are dying out. I like, exactly, gonna I was going to call I you. Know to be <laughs> around in two years, so no, but no, that's what I said: is either a a, a print magazine or an online equivalent that has okay. the same sort of demographic audience. Okay. So, so. by
0: by twenty fourteen May second of twenty fourteen, yes, there will, will be a all, magazine all the out there that the that has proclaimed that they're going to do limited retouching of people and show them as they really are. Yes. No. No body
2: reshaping would be no sort of body reshaping. Okay. Yes. Okay. How about
0: that? Uh, and they'll publicly say
2: that. Yes. All
0: right. A uh, hundred dollars. All right.
2: <laughs> a hundred. A hundred credits. Since we're not in, you know, Nevada right now, and it would be illegal to.
0: That's right. All right. Uh, a hundred. <laughs> a hundred IOUs or something. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Exactly. All right. You're on. Good, very cool all right guys let 's move on uh, that 's a very interesting story. We could like We could go on forever on that one, um, <laughs> but I want to talk about this third story is about the Olympics banning the posting of images to social networking sites. so last week, we talked about them, the Olympics cracking down on certain venues. And an amateur photographer in the UK is saying that the Olympics is planning to ban the posting of images to social networking sites, and that the ticket conditions, when you purchase a ticket, it says that the posting and sharing of images on social networking sites is prohibited. So, uh, Martin Evening, <laughs> Martin Evening, Martin, what is this? Is this even possible to like put a law out there, or put a, even put a rule or guideline in place like this, where it's? so clearly unenforceable. What do you think about this?
3: Uh, (laughs) we risking getting into trouble for saying this. I'm, I, what I would do is they're, they're obviously, they're okay with people shooting, you know, making their own photographs. They're not, they've got no worries about people actually shooting the event. Mm -hmm. And they're just saying you can't post them onto Facebook and everything, or, or they're saying it's for private use. Yeah. Um, it, in in most cases in the law, uh, and I'm not a lawyer. It's the uh, you know disclaimer. But I uh, the 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 problem starts when they they prove intent in and that you you knew that you were doing something wrong and you did it anyway. But if and and I, and I don't well, let me look, I'm going to back, keep backtracking here. But basically, I'm I'm thinking that um,
0: see what you mean. If, it's the internet. You, were, you can if say if whatever you, were, you want. If, if you were,
3: <laughs> If you were going to go uh, go ahead, go home and post something on Facebook, then it would be very difficult to prove that you knew that Facebook w- was outside of what they um, what they expected. You know what they meant by the private use. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, if I put something on Facebook, I automatically think that it's a private it's a private thing because it's it's my account and I can put. In, I mean, people throw images of their their. Ba- you know, bachelor parties and things up there. Mm-hmm. It's it's very very grey, and I think that if if it was to go to a court of law and you said, "I thought that was a private use," it'd probably just be kicked out. Um, so I would say just do whatever you want with your own images. <laughs> if they al- if they allow you to photograph them, then do whatever you want with them. I mean, it would be different, of course, if you were to try to sell them to a magazine and they were yeah. using advertisement things like that.
0: Yeah, but. But they said social use. networks. They said social networks. Yeah. are. So, Ron, yeah. I know you have an opinion on this. So I, I do. Like, what Here's about – like, I know where you're going with this because, like – well, first of all, there's – for me, it's unenforceable. Second of all, what about other countries? It's yeah. <laughs> like so gonna much.
2: You know? Here's what's going to happen. And, and this – you know, I understand what they're basically – you know, the world's changed so much that live television – is in many ways sort of doesn't exist. All these games are going to be happening in a time zone that's not North American friendly. Uh, so what they want, of course, is to have exclusivity to some of this stuff. And they're they're totally fearful that somebody is going to be recording this thing, is going to post it to Twitter or Facebook, it's going to go viral long before the event. You know, you're going to say Usain Bolt uh, breaks some new world record and it's going to go all over the place. Yeah. So what's going to happen is they're going to, the first day of these things, somebody's going to be posting something they're going to come down with, with on that person like the hand of God. They're going to pick somebody who's clearly, you know, uh, the real person not posting under some sort the of anonymous example. thing. Oh, no. yeah. Sue them saying that you have just violated the terms of your stuff and they're going to try to scare people away from doing this and the Completely useless hope that they can prevent it from happening. And you it's know what it'll happen, work.
0: right? You know it'll happen. People will say, "What? You're crazy!" Exactly. Now everyone, yeah. if if the entire crowd posts to Facebook, they can't arrest yep. us all, right?
2: <laughs> I, I, I totally agree, but but it's gonna be it's gonna be just like file sharing, though, right? It's gonna be like like people pirating movies in the sense that very 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 small percentage of them actually get dinged on it. But they're going to do it just because it's going to raise enough fear that they think they can kind of control it a little bit more, mitigate it a little bit more. And it's yeah. going to suck if you're, you know, the one person that did it. But <laughs> you know, just this, don't this, do it first. this reminds yeah. me. This reminds me of
0: the. I think it was last year we reported on Lady Gaga uh, prohibiting. I think she, it was her. It was. It was. I'm pretty sure it was her prohibiting uh, photography mm. at concerts, which makes sense. I think because. I don't know does that make sense Because when I think about it, it's like, okay, a concert, the Olympics, you're paying for something that's you know Doug, does it does it, like contrast this with Lady Gaga saying, "No, don't take cameras into my concerts and take pictures of me, you know versus the Olympic Committee saying, "Don't take pictures of the javelin thrower and put it on Facebook.
3: I, hey, wait, I, Fr- I, Frederick: I, Oh sorry, oh, go, I mean, go ahead, ahead Mark, just, just, just quickly. Yeah. I think it was that she said um that she owns the copyright to any photos right. taken at her yes. concerts yes yeah so you're shooting
0: you're essentially shooting for her when you go to the concerts right right yeah right so Sorry, so you could right. shoot you could shoot but she owns the photos right right so what it Doug, go ahead why well,
1: i, I i think there's something very different and i disagree with ron about what's i i need to disagree with ron because that seems to be a <laughs> thing it's to fun. Do today. it's a fun <laughs> sport <laughs> <but>. <laughs> i think uh the olympics are very different first of all the life of uh, an image let's say a still image taken at the olympics is very short mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a few weeks long it's very news oriented uh, these images are going to come out on a social network. Can they stop it? No, they can't stop it. They're going to come up quickly. There'll be a lot of them you know, right after the event. A few weeks after the Olympics over, nobody will give a damn at all. Uh, and I don't think, for example, there will be enough time for anybody to launch any significant legal action to prevent it. I think that this is simply something that they decided to put on the tickets, if if it's true. It's just a rumor so far. But if it's true, they decided to put this on the tickets to give them a certain amount of protection so that they could go after it because what they really care about is the commercial use. I think the Olympic organizers probably, if they're smart, would encourage amateur crude stuff online being shared all the time because that's going to increase their television viewership, which is where a significant amount of their revenues come. It's going to remind people, hey, it's middle of the summer. Did you know that there are Olympics on in the middle of the summer? Yeah. Stop what you're doing and watch television. Yeah. So I think that um, – I think this just a legal placeholder for them. Uh, you know, here in the U.S., you know, the NFL, the National Football League, uh, doesn't permit the use of anything, and they don't let you come into a football game with a camera that has a lens longer than six inches. Um, we can, that's a whole other <laughs> funny story we could talk about. <laughs> but uh, – you know, again with football, it's different because yeah. the value of the images long term is much greater than it is for Olympics. Someone sitting in the stands with an iPhone is not going to take an image that's going to be on the cover of a magazine.
0: Yeah, well, maybe maybe Olympics, uh, maybe they're they're crazy like a fox, and you know, it's kind of like when you tell a kid not, not to do something, then he really wants to do it. Maybe they're they're saying, hey. <laughs> Don't don't do don't post this to Facebook, wink wink, or we'll come after you to make yeah, it more exciting not, to do it. They're sure.
1: not they're not going to be able to enforce it. They're not going to try. I mean, can you imagine them going to Twitter and going after one or two people who post something to Twitter? As as one of the guys said, you have to as Ron, uh, as um, Martin said, you have to find it. You yep. know, if, uh, if I post it on Facebook or Twitter, only the people who follow me are going to see it anyway. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, you're, you're probably right, uh, but I don't know. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they decide to do something. They may even plant somebody and and do all of this totally to make the point, because I, I know what they're trying to do is they're trying to avoid really high-quality footage of things leaking out prior to something where they can monetize it with commercials. That,
1: that's exactly true. That's where I agree with you. The question is, tactically, what they'll do in between. We'll right. see.
0: Right. which is which is which we all agree on is impossible to do. And, I, and, I, impossible. and i don't have
1: yeah. a, I don't have a hundred dollars to back that up <laughs> I wouldn't take that bet
0: <laughs> all right guys let's move on let's talk a little bit about cameras. We get accused of talking about uh too much about Canon and Nikon of course, and then you know and not enough about Sony and Olympus and you know all the all the other camera companies out there, but uh, I want to set the record straight right now and add in this brand new company that is making some crazy new cameras and this is uh <laughs> our friends over at ikea the big Love yellow it. and blue <laughs> you know? our uh the home furnishing giant is getting into the camera business with some uh what they're gonna i think they're saying they're the world's cheapest digital camera called the I can't pronounce this word. It's, it's <laughs> say, Scandinavian. Say it with the
2: Swedish accent.
0: I don't, I'm not Swedish. I can't pronounce this. It's K-N-A-A-P-A. Knapa. It's a knappa. yeah. Twip listeners, uh, please let us know how to pronounce this. But uh, it's a digital camera. It's powered by two AA batteries. It's made out of a single piece of cardboard. It can store 40 images, which can be moved over to your computer <clears throat> via a flip-out USB dongle. And on the IKEA site, which we'll link to in our show notes for this episode, um, they have a a video up there that's – I think it's on YouTube as well – that's announcing this thing and their entry into the consumer electronics market, which I think is a bigger story than just this camera. But I want to talk about this camera first. Martin, uh, Mr. Bailey, what are are the implications of having – and by the way, we don't know what this thing costs. I was searching and searching. I couldn't find a price on it. So I'm going to assume – I don't know, maybe 30 bucks, 20 bucks, something mm. like that. What what are the implications of a sub $50 reasonable digital camera?
3: I, I think it, it it's a bit of fun. It, it'll probably they'll sell, but they'll probably sell uh you remember the I don't know if they were the same in the US, but there there was the Fuji color like plastic green mm-hmm. paper paper wrapped cameras I remember years those, ago.
0: yeah.
3: They'll probably sell in in a similar, the people that buy them will have a similar feeling when they buy them as, as buying one of those cameras, but it depends, there to me, it'll, it'll depend on, on where, oh yeah, there it is Doug. Um, it'll depend on how readily available they are. If they're thinking of putting these in like 7-Elevens across the country and things like that, then they'll probably sell a lot better than if they only sell them at Ikea stores. Yeah. Because uh, if, if, if someone has to go into an Ikea store and pick them up They'll sell for the novelty value, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's not even going to be something where you you those those paper their little um, throwaway cameras that Fuji did they they were a hit because you could buy them in any convenience store around Japan and around the world I imagine I'm not sure, but. People would go somewhere they'd say, "Oh no look at that that's beautiful i need a I need a photograph they 'd run to the hamburger stand and buy one yep. and and they'd come back and, and shoot a few images now the you can you could get some they were relatively good quality they were thirty five millimeter film but the problem was obviously there was a tiny lens in there and mm-hmm. um, that also, though, that, the reverse of that was that they had a huge depth of field, so there was, there was, you didn't need any focusing mechanism. All you had to do was point them at the scene and shoot it, and everything was in focus. Um, but, of course, that means that you can't get very artistic with depth of field and things like that, and I'm sure that that's going to be the same as, as the, the NARPA, or whatever it is, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, it's going to be, they'll be fun, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll probably fit in your pocket, you'll pull them out at parties, impress your friends, um, take your 40 photos, and then have to run home and, and download them to your f- computer, but it's, it's a bit of fun, I think, they'll probably I think, I sell you, just for the novelty.
0: I think you hit it right on the head with the availability thing, because... You know, I'm not going to be the guy that's walking over the hot coals of parking at IKEA and fighting the crowds (laughs) and going through their human maze to, you know, and all the distractions, you know, to get to the camera. But if the camera is somewhere else outside of IKEA that I can, I can make an impulse buy and buy it. Like, say I'm going to Best Buy for something or I'm going even in the Apple store. Imagine that, a partnership between IKEA and Apple. Yeah. Which, yeah, we won't see that. But anyway, <laughs> but but if something like that made it really easy and it was just right there and I could grab it and drop, you know, 50 bucks or 20, 30 bucks or whatever and walk away with it, then that would make sense. I don't know. Yeah. Ron, yeah. Ron, what about you? I mean, are you going to, when this thing becomes available, are you going to run out and buy one or two of them
2: for your travels? Uh, not for my travels, but I, you know, it's interesting to think how how cheap can these cameras be made and is IKEA going to be able to break through some, some lower price point? Uh, a couple, a couple points. There's this great website called IkeaHackers.net wow, that is everybody hacking. You know, mostly IKEA furniture, but just about anything. And sort of, you know, reconfiguring it and putting it together with other stuff. And there's all kinds of crazy, fun stuff on there. So I can only imagine what, um, what you're going to be able to get with these ultra cheap cameras. And and you know, what can you do to hack these together? And mm. you can already buy these components for very, very cheap. You can buy camera modules for a few dollars. You know, the thing that goes inside of your iPhone is, is really only a few dollars worth. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity for interesting photo hacks that are going to come out of this. All right. Uh, we're live again. Okay.
0: Uh, sorry about that, guys. I, uh, that was my fault. I was trying to push the envelope and and show some stuff while Ron was talking so I could illustrate his words with the website of IKEA Hacks and our Hangout crash. But we are back uh, for to finish up the show with part two here. So, Ron, you want to just finish up your thought on
2: uh, what you are saying? You know, the two points was the IkeaHackers.net is the website where uh, people hack IKEA stuff, and I can just imagine what hacking these cameras are going to look like uh, when people get a hold of them. And then the the sense of be great at weddings for handing out super super cheap cameras to just every guest and letting them cover the wedding or any other event really. So cameras are just going to continue to get cheaper, cheaper, cheaper for your basic basic model. So yeah. Be
3: fun. Hey, you, d- know, you know what? With one, one with a camera that's that thin, it looks really thin. We're probably going to see them in kites and on model airplanes and all sorts. Yeah, you know. So it's people will probably do a lot of fun stuff if you can figure out a way of triggering it. Um, and it probably be a, have to be a, a mechanical finger that pushes the button. Looking at it, but. In, yeah, in, there could be some fun to be had.
0: Looking at this thing, I mean, it just—it's begging to be hacked, right? I mean, it's cardboard. Totally. Right? totally. So you're going to see people taking the guts out of this thing and putting them in all kinds of strange places. I bet. Doug, Doug is this—is this a camera that you will add to your collection of cameras? I,
1: I actually will, you know. And we were talking. Here's here's that Fuji that Martin was talking about. I've got. It's about ten years old, and I've got two frames left. I'm not sure what I'll do with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, oh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: I was going to say, you know that one that you just showed, Doug? That's actually, in Japan, that was marketed as, I, I don't think it is there. It was a dolphin. Um, and the reason is is that when you wind them on manually underwater, it sounds like there's a dolphin nearby.
0: <laughs> Seriously? That's yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah,
3: I, I, I remember snorkeling for, sh- for shellfish on an island on the, the west side of Japan with one of those, and I kept thinking there was a dolphin nearby, and it was my friend winding on his dolphin camera. <laughs> I got I got a
1: couple of these. Here's a Kodak oh, I've got cool. here. Sitting around. I, found, I found these. This one actually has a strobe in it. Nice. It.
0: But those are film cameras, though, right, Doug? Those are, yeah. So I yeah.
1: think, you know, Ron actually said the one thing I was going to say, which is weddings. You know, so many of mm. the weddings have this, you know, put them on, every table gets a camera. And Now what they'll do with this is they give every person a camera. I mean, they'll be that cheap, right. I think. Now, the one thing we haven't mentioned, two things, actually. One is that there's speculation that this is actually fake. That this is not a real product because this has not been announced. I do think that everybody should go and look at the video that is out there promoting this it 's very clever um, you 've got to see the special features of the camera like the zoom and the image stabilization these are these are great features, and uh, you make your own judgments but i, I I mean, they're (laughs) going to show up in greeting cards. They're going to be tiny little things. So, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, uh, quantity's the number. I'll go out and buy them. I'll buy a pack of six. You know,
0: I hope it's real. I mean, you know, I I hope it's real, and I hope it's I hope it's cheap. I mean, like really, really, really cheap.
1: If it's if it's not cheap, nothing will happen with these cameras. You said sub fifty. I thinking that these are like, you know, nine ninety five.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's that's
2: that's what I was thinking too. It's got to be like you know ten to fifteen.
1: Yeah, this is Service. not a, no no one's going to pay, you know, 49.95 for something even though it does include supposedly two AAA two AA batteries. We'll see. <laughs>
0: so we're going to you know, I just predict we're going to see all kinds of stuff. We're going to see um you know, little groups on Flickr pop up that are dedicated to doing cool and innovative things Absolutely. with these things. Absolutely. And you know, know,
1: the Make magazine will have articles on it. They'll be all over the no doubt about it.
0: Yep, yeah. people will be in jail for putting in places they shouldn't put them. You know, all kinds. Of- <laughs> All kinds of stuff. All right,
1: guys. Let's... Oh, oh, oh! You know, you're gonna see this, people are gonna do bullet time with this. Yep. Oh, oh I, I did remember? see somebody you're, commented on that. Yeah. You're gonna go. That, yeah. oh, you're, you're gonna go you're, or did somebody do that already? They beat me to it. No, no, no. no. Go?
0: Somebody made a comment yeah, gonna, about that. But what? What's bullet you time? Know, instead,
1: well, you remember from the Matrix where they basically had. I don't know, Ron, you probably know better than I. How many? 50 cameras in the first bullet time effect? As, yeah, as Martin
0: on the video demonstrates for us. Thank you, Neo. We appreciate that. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, it was that hey, Martin, of... you move like they do. <laughs> it, was some, it was something like 50, I think it was 5D Mark Twos or something like that. I can't yeah, it was remember. before that. It was but before uh, that. Yeah, that's way before that. Yeah, right?
2: yeah. It was uh, interesting enough. I actually almost did that. Worked on that. I, wow. I flew down to Australia and oh, ran wow. around on the roof of the set. And
1: cool. uh, so, I mean, you know, any amateur will be able to go out and do you know one hundred or two hundred camera bullet time as long as they can synchronize them. Yeah. And uh, that you're going to see that right away if that comes out. There's that no doubt cool. about that.
0: That's cool. That's exciting. So, last question on this, uh, Martin. I'll throw this to you or Martin, A.K.A. Neo. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if if IKEA jumps in with this dirt cheap camera and on the high end we're seeing the prices go up like we were talking about the 5D Mark three, and it's the prices around that thing. Is this going to force the Nikons, the Canon, the Sonys, the Olympuses of the world to come out with these kind of small, single-use, semi-disposable cameras?
3: I, I wouldn't imagine that they'll... I mean, they, they want to sell the more expensive ones and, the, and they've got the, the value-add, um, you know the proposition for why you why you should buy the more expensive ones, so i can 't imagine that they 'll be coming out with something quite like this, but I think prices will on the lower end they 're going to want to try and suck as many people up into the market as they can um and they 're already they 've already got a big problem with mobile phones everyone 's got a mobile phone with a camera now, and they they 're already seeing a lot less people probably buying entry level cameras than Maybe they would have done if there weren't anything, if there wasn't anything in a mobile phone. Yeah. But photography is becoming much more um, accessible to, to so many people, and if they've got something that is, like you know, the the Rebel range is a good example. But even le- even lower than that, they, they if they've got something in the market that will allow people to jump in and start making images with a, a much lower entry entry price, then I think that they'll they'll continue to push that. Um, whether they go quite this low and, you know, and basically develop a a cardboard camera, I don't think Canon or Nikon would put the name on that. But you never know. You never know.
0: Ron, Ron, does this, you know, the more I think about this, the more I think this is, if this is real and like you guys are saying, if it is like 10 bucks or under 20 bucks, let's say. Even even photo walks and camera clubs, you know, because not everybody like if you if you did a contest and you said, okay, the parameters of the contest are you must go out and take photos of doorknobs. Here's the time span. You must use this camera you know that sort of thing now you can lock it down whereas before okay what kind of camera do you have oh i got a nikon you know d800 oh i just have a this and i have that right. you can make it egalitarian and say you mu- in order to participate in this event go buy this particular cardboard camera from ikea is that does that make sense are we going to see stuff like that
2: for certain situations like that where you've got a contest i think it's uh mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, cameras are just getting so cheap in general that I think you're going to see so many different devices with cameras integrated into them. You're going to see doorknobs with cameras in them and light switches and everything pretty soon. So uh, it's going to be cheap. I, I suspect that um, I suspect that this does not have a full frame sensor in it. However, <laughs> suspect you want you want to bet on that? I mean, come on, Ron. <laughs> I, I could be wrong on that one, so I don't know.
0: That's Ron. That's going to be your new nickname. It's Ron. I could be wrong, Brinkman. You know. <laughs> nope. All right. Uh, well, we'll keep an eye on that. I'm going to. Uh, we'll, hopefully, when they come out, we'll all get one and play around with it. And uh, Martin will write a nice ebook on how to take great pictures <laughs> with this new camera. <laughs> so, and we'll all buy it. All right, guys. Uh, I want to uh, give a, a shout out to a, a book that I have got my hands on. It's called the iPad for Photographers. Here it is right here, if you can see it for the folks in the Hangout that are watching us. It's called the iPad. If I can get that right. God, it's reversed. Um, The iPad for Photographers. The subtitle is Master the Newest Tool in Your Camera Bag by Jeff Carlson. It's a really cool book. I'm in the middle of it right now. And, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who is Derek Story, actually, he's building a workshop around, or he has already built a workshop around how to do this kind of Next generation image acquisition where you have an iPad in your bag and you're bringing images into it and you're putting them up online, you know, and you're all in the field. Well, this book kind of talks about all that stuff and more. I mean, it's just like everything you need to know if you ever even thought about taking images and manipulating them and uploading them with your iPad it's covered in this book. So definitely go check it out. We'll, we'll link to it in the show notes for this episode on thisweekinphoto.com. But the uh, the book, it's not a huge read, so it's not going to take you forever to read it. It's, it's a 208 pages. And some of the things on the back says it, talk, it talks about importing and copying organizing and rating in the field, editing using PhotoGene, Snapseed, and other adjustment tools, editing video clips in iMovie, making slideshows, etc., creating your portfolio, all that stuff. It's all covered in here. So definitely check that out. It's not my pick of the week, but it is my book pick of the week. Um, and uh, I'd be interested to know if you guys have, if the folks that are listening to this have this already or have read it, let me know what you think in the, uh, the comments for this episode. All right, and before we move on to the next part of the show, we're going to give a little treat to you. I had a chance a while back to sit down at an event called GlamourCon with Mr. Bob Schultz. He and I talked about the original uh, creation of the this event. He's the creator of GlamourCon, which has been going on for quite a while. I had no idea. I'd never. This is the first first one I went to, and it was... It's a pretty huge event. And basically, they celebrate pinup art and glamour past, present, and future. So, vintage stuff uh, all the way through stuff that's being created today. So, have a listen to that interview right now. Hi, I'm Frederick Van Johnson with This Week in Photo. I'm here with Bob Schultz. He is the founder and man in charge here at GlamourCon. This is GlamourCon 52, right? GlamourCon 52. All right. So... Let's just start it off. What is GlamourCon? What's it for? Why'd you make it?
4: Oh, <laughs> GlamourCon is a celebration of pinup art and photography, and um, we've been doing it for 18 years. It's a 50-second show. This show is in Long Beach, California. We normally do it in Chicago, Chicagoland area somewhere, and in the LA basin somewhere. What it do- what it is is mainly an autograph show. We have, I'll oh, say. 50, 60 Playboy Playmates from 1955 till the most current. We have internet models. We have dealers that specialize in glamour and collectible merchandise. Mm-hmm. Um, how it happened is a long story, but 18 years ago, I uh, I was in the finance business, and uh, I had a friend that wanted to do a, a show that was a homage to pinup art, mm-hmm. and we... We didn't know anything about show planning. I was in the finance business, like I said, and he was an attorney. We knew nothing about shows, but spent a couple years learning about them and decided that we would have a show to do this by sheer happenstance. Um, at our first show, Hugh Hefner comes in and we didn't know that he was a fan of pinup art. I guess so. Why not? But As, as he's coming up the aisle, my partner's on one side of the foyer and I'm on the other. And we're running like in slow motions that you see in the movies to try to tell the guy at the front counter not to charge Mr. Hefner. And we're both kind of going, no. <laughs> well, of course, we don't make it in time. And I see Mr. Hefner looking for money. And he can't find any money. And he asks, because he doesn't carry money, what does he need that for? So he asks his bodyguards, and they don't have any money. So by that time, we make it to the, to the front desk and say, Mr. Hefner, you can go in. About two hours later, he comes out and says, hey, you guys ought to have some Playboy Playmates here. And, of course, I said, well, uh, can you help us? Yeah, do you know anybody? And he says, as a matter of fact, I can. And that was it. So since then, they've been very gracious to us and allows, allowed us to do this. So I, I, And I'm very grateful for that. So basically, there's a lot of Playboy involvement here um, behind the scenes and, and, of course, up front with all the Playboy Playmates. Yeah.
0: So, we're at the end of the show. This was a two day long show. Two days, yeah. So, two day long show, people are packing up, the, the, the yeah. party's over, I've
4: managed to get you before you took yeah. off. And so, was it successful? Perfect? It's, it's always successful. I mean, I, uh, it's been successful for 52 shows. So, uh, most important to me is that it's successful for the, for the models and, and vendors. I mean, that's the most important thing. So, they keep coming back. Yeah. So if we
0: if we fast forward into 2012, right? Or uh, go forward, go forward, like 2015. Yeah.
4: What's the show look like? What What are you envisioning as changes you'd like to make? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when something works well, you tend not to change it much, and the sh- the complexion of the show has not changed much. Other competitive shows have come and gone um, for various reasons, but I think that. Basically, the fans just want to meet these women that they see in the magazines. And and, and I don't know how else to really make that mo- with more sizzle. Because I, I don't think that the fans care that much. They want to meet, they want to, 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 to talk to the women that they see. Because, you know, on the internet, you can get all of this material anytime you want. But it's difficult to meet those people. And here we provide that opportunity in a, uh, hopefully, a... a upscale and safe environment so perfect
0: okay so somebody's watching this and they're like oh i
4: had no idea if this show was even happening where do they go to find out a list of where things are happening Simple. just go to uh, glamourcon.com glamourcon.com that's glamourcon g-a-l-m-o-u-r-c-o-n glamourcon.com you'll find that it's we're we're at the top of every search engine for this and uh every year we publish our our schedule And then as the shows get closer, we start listing who will be attending. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks a lot, Bob.
4: All right. Thank you very much.
0: All right. All right. Frederick Johnson, that was Bob Schultz this week in photo. And uh, we're going to see if we can find more people to interview. Okay. You can learn more about Bob and GlamourCon by visiting the GlamourCon website. Or you can find them on the usual social networking sites, which we will link to in the show notes for this episode. All right, it's time for some listener Q and A. This is the segment where our guests—that's you guys—answer questions that have come in via our Facebook group, uh, Google Plus, Twitter, etc. Um, basically, any way people want to get a question into us, we grab it and then answer them here. Question number one is about the IFPO, and is it worth joining? The IFPO is the International Freelance Photographers Organization, and the question comes from Robert O hole so i'm going to throw it to you ron i don't know if you're a member of any organizations right now
2: but no don't, don't throw it to me i'm not a member of any of these organizations you don't care about any
0: of this stuff right you know <laughs>
2: well, I, I don't care about it but you know i'm i am very much a a, a hobbyist photographer so it's right. an interesting question about you know sort of what what a hobbyist photographer would be
0: all right doug doug might know this stuff doug wait are you familiar with this i'm seeing question marks across the board down there (laughs) in this hangout like question mark overlays and exclamation points what's going
1: on (laughs) well of of all those acronyms the only one i know is nap national association of photoshop professionals which i happen to be a member of even though i am not a photoshop professional and that's simply because uh in terms of training oh no i know what it was kelby training had a deal because it's essentially seems to me to be one organization and the same uh, they had a deal where, for you know almost no money extra, you could do a Kelby membership and a nap membership, and they have a nice magazine, yeah, in terms of the actual professional associations uh you're asking the wrong guy again,
0: Martin, you know you're next, right <laughs> martin's like, don't call on me, teacher, don't call on me
3: <laughs> um, well, my. I've never heard of them. Um, I, <laughs> that, I
0: don't Wait, any of these organizations or that one in oh, particular? No,
3: not no, for sure. Um, but I'm not a member of any of these either. Most of them in my case though it's because they're they're very US centric or they yeah. I mean they're, they're very other country centric. They're not Japan. they don't do, work very well with Japan. Um, so I I don't really have my antenna up for these sort of things either. But I I did take a quick look at their website. They look like a a respectable organization it's not it doesn't look like a scam at least, um, but I you know I, I wasn't really that interested in this to jump in and, and do any research for this listener either so
2: yeah uh, the one thing I would say I mean I do belong to professional organizations that are were in my you know in the film industry visual effects uh, kind mm-hmm. of world and, and they are worthwhile um, with a few caveats you know they they're particularly worthwhile if they have if they're a local organization. So something where you can really go and network with other people who are, you know, in the same sort of profession as you and who have good career experience to talk about. If you're remote and you don't have that kind of face to face, it's probably worth a little bit less. And let's say offer some kind of services that are really valuable. And it would seem like you could kind of determine some of that ahead of time before really going and paying some, some large membership fee to get on board with that. But if there's a local group, now, now whether they're better than you know, just some sort of local meetup or, or hobbies group is, is a good question. But I suspect that you know, if they have some local organization that you could go to meetings, that would be yeah. much more worthwhile. Well,
0: you know what? I, you know, I, I kind of stacked the deck because I, <laughs> I actually, a couple days ago, did an interview with Eugene Mopsick. He's the director of ASMP, so, uh, ASMP is the American, right, Martin, you know, U.S.-centric, yep, the me- American Society Society of me- Media Professionals, right? Yeah. Uh, and the questions I – and we'll we'll air this in a couple of weeks, but the questions I asked Eugene specifically were, why? You know, they were coming for me because I, I wasn't a member at the time. I am a member now because I joined because turns out it's, you know, less than a cup of coffee, right? So – um the The benefits are that I was specifically interested in were insurance because I was hearing a lot about, hey, you gotta you, you know join these associations and the insurance alone is worth it, and it is. You know, I won't give it all away, but the benefits that I found out about in that interview were the uh, insurance. Um, they've got community, they've got legal advice to some degree. If you get sued, you know, all this sort of crazy stuff in there. That I mean, it was a long laundry list of like. Really? All that mm. <laughs> all that and stuff? Cuz I, I was ha- thinking I was thinking like on the insurance side I was thinking my homeowner's policy covered my gear, right? And yeah, but not if my gear is with me somewhere. <laughs> you know yeah. that kind of thing. Which if I'm taking pictures generally it will be. What are you going to say, Martin?
3: I I was one of the uh, associations that I have seriously considered jo- joining is is the ASMP. They they have I mean that all of that information you just mentioned is golden. They mm-hmm. and they and then although they, although I mean it's called American, but they they do as far as I'm, I'm aware. I think I, I looked into it a, about six months ago for the last time, but they don't stop people from other com- countries joining. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the information that they that they share is is really very, it's it's incredible. So and a lot of it you can get at without even being a member. They're they're pretty generous with their. With their information, so it's uh, it's not necessary, but I, I I that is one of the associations that I really did uh, look into and thought heavily about joining.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that Eugene mentioned was uh, the community aspect, and you know, I'm I'm really like I run a meetup group here in the Bay Area that is really popular. I think we're up to like 1,300 members or something like that, just local photographers, um, and it's great. It's awesome to have that. That venue where people can actually sit next to one another and say, hey, my camera does this. How do I fix that? You know, there's that one on one kind of thing that you can't get online. And I asked him about that. And he said that they have meetings, monthly meetings as well. But one of the differences of their meetings is they bring in like we do when we do meetups. we, We bring in speakers to address the crowd. But the crowd there are all members. So they're paying. To come in to be able to join this discussion, which changes the dynamic a little bit when it's not free, right? So it's interesting. So, regardless, to answer Robert Hull's question, None of us have heard of the IFPO, <laughs> sorry, um, and which doesn't mean that they're not a good organization. We just, in this crowd, we're not freelance photographers, so we haven't, we haven't heard of them or joined them. Um, if there's anyone in the audience or in the, uh, the This Week in Photo listening audience that has more information on that, please contact us, or even better yet, post what you think about the IFPO to the comments of the blog post for this episode, which will be live this Friday in a couple days. Alright, the next one is about golden hour for video Doug, now I know that you had some time a few years ago working... (laughs) Working in a motion picture film lab. So you know a little bit about video. So this listener, Chris Arnold, writes, landscape photographers have long known about the golden hour guideline. So, Doug, I want you to define what that means. But he, say, he goes on to say, now that I'm about to get into video with my Nikon D800, I wanted to know if the same guidelines apply to video. You want to take that one?
1: Yeah, I you know you hear a different version of the golden hour rule no matter where you are, but it's essentially that you know hour or so before sunset when you get the very low angle of light and the color turns quite red or orange, mm-hmm. and you know the same is is generally true in the hour after sunrise as well, uh, and it's it's beautiful light and of course it absolutely applies to video very as every bit as much as it does to still photography. Uh, if you look in the motion picture industry, that's when a lot of the shooting is done as well. Of course, the problem with the motion picture industry is, you know, they have, uh, you know, eight or 12 or 14 hour days and they have to keep shooting because they've got the cast and crew and equipment. So they have to work a schedule around. So they might do an interior, uh, and might do interiors in the middle of the day and then rush outside to get their exteriors late in the day. If they, you know, they're wide shots. In the case of uh, close-ups, they might fake the close-ups in the middle of the day, uh, block out all the natural light, and, uh, and use artificial light to get the same effect. Uh, you can do that in a close-up. You can't do that in a wide shot. But it's absolutely the same thing for uh, the video business or the film business as it is for stills.
0: Is that So, Ron Brinkman, is that true across the board that lighting in general for motion is essentially the same as it is for still photography?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, most movies, you're you're always having some sort of artificial light added to the scene, partially for practical reasons of getting enough light that the film can get captured all. It's less of a concern now. But, yeah, I mean, everybody loves to shoot at, at magic hour, golden hour. You know, some filmmakers abuse this privilege a little bit. I think it was a movie that, oh, Warhorse, Spielberg's mm. most recent one. Mm-hmm. you watch that movie, it's like... Everything that was interesting that went on seemed to happen during magic hour. It was, it was just sort of over the
1: top. It was like, wow, in, does nothing happened during the day? Yeah, and in backlight, too.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, it certainly gets overused. And, and of course, you can color grade something that's not shot uh, during twilight to, to look like that to some extent, particularly if you've got an overcast day, so you're not hitting really harsh shadows and all that. So you, you can trick it a lot. But, yeah, it's, it's a, it really is a, a nice time to shoot, but the practicalities of it, you really can't. If you're shooting video and it's, you're telling a linear story, most of the time, unless you're Spielberg, I guess, it, it doesn't make sense to have everything seem to happen in that little one-hour window. So. i
0: got to go watch that uh, now. Is that, that's called War Horse? War Horse, yeah. Is that on, is that on uh, Netflix? Uh, it's not probably yet, out no. on
1: video by now. I don't know. I'm not it's sure if it is or not. It was an uh, Oscar contender. First. Oh, yes, exactly. wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hadn't heard of that one. All right, well, Martin, what about you? Is it uh, what about the the whole magic hour thing that we're we're talking about with this question?
3: Uh, it's it's definitely something that you should look out for with with stills. But mm-hmm. I mean, good light is good light, yeah. and if if you want good video, then shoot it in good light, or as as Ron said, you know, create good light. Mm-hmm. And but I I basically just ditto to Doug and Ron. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, it, so th- it's, it's important.
0: So Doug and Ron, uh, just a quick question before we leave this and go on to the picks of the week. Um, can you create magic hour? Because one of you guys were saying that you know, if I think it was you, Doug, you were saying that if you're shooting a wide shot, then you and it's not magic hour. You can't you can't really fake that. But can't you can you fake it by say gelling your lens and then using a a complementary color gelled on your flash to light your well, subject.
1: It- there are two things you can't do. You can't change the angle of the light in a yeah. of the sunlight in a wide shot. So right. the angle is the angle. long shadows you're not going to change with a filter. And the second thing is uh, that you also get the two different color temperatures of the key light and the fill light, and mm-hmm. uh, with filters with filters, you're not going to be able to change them separately. In digital posts, you can, but it's difficult. Um, you know, it's, it's harder. But that's the difference is that you get, you actually have two different color temperatures, key and fill.
2: Got it, got it. You, Ron, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, that's exactly right. You you can do anything in post if you're willing to put enough money towards it. I mean, I've changed the direction of shadows on shots and everything, you know, because it doesn't match, it doesn't cut in continuity. And, you know, somebody says, we we can't have this shadow suddenly shooting off to the left when it was shooting off to the right in the last shot. Somebody decided to flop the scene, you know, flop the entire image just because the action worked better because of that. You do it all the time in post. It's just a cost of doing it. And, you know, we've been faking stuff since the beginning of, of photography for film. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, but Ron, you wrote the book on how to do that stuff. Yeah, for, for, yeah Ron,
0: for, plug your um, book. Come people. on, is that and book still out? <laughs> oh yeah, it's still
2: out. It's uh, the art and science of digital compositing. Oh, yeah. If you really want to look into learn a little bit about you know the what we do in in films for visual effects kind of stuff.
1: And, then, and I'm going to guess that that our listener Chris Arnold, if he's asking the question, he probably doesn't have the budget to do things that way.
2: No, it's uh, although these days you know these tools are getting pretty cheap for doing visual effects work. And totally. It, it, it yeah. becomes as much as anything. Are you willing to put the time into it? And, you know, if you're willing to sit there and crank away at stuff, I see some amazing videos up on YouTube of you know stuff that would have been millions of dollars worth of visual effects work mm-hmm. even four or five years ago, and somebody's just done it in their basement. So the crazy? game has changed. That, yeah.
0: that just makes me happy. I love that kind of stuff. Too, when you see yeah. that, that kind of democratization of the tools and the power so then it becomes i think the the net effect of all that is the excuses go away because before it was wow i could make star wars if i had that budget (laughs) you know now you can pretty much do with you can. (laughs) you can do that so the excuse is you and your time and your willingness to even put the effort i mean it's
2: still time consuming some of this stuff you know it's you can't you know it's like Nine women can't make a baby in a month, kind of thing. Yeah, you know, but but it's you not know,
0: prohibitive. You're... It's not like you need some multi gazillion dollar editing suite in order to cut you know a simple film together, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's all there, and if you have the time to sit there and, and crank on it for a while, you can do pretty much anything.
0: Amazing. All right, guys, move on. It's time for the pick of the week segment. Uh, this is the part in the show where our guests pick something photography related it can be anything it could be a workshop it could be a piece of software it could be a learning tool something as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography martin i want to throw it to you first what is your pick of the week
3: i'm just reaching for mine i'm i'm gonna plug and i mean canon don't need a hand with selling things
2: um, (laughs) unless
3: you're a nikon user of course but um i'm going to plug the new gpe2 the gps unit this is mm. um it, it only works with the 5d mark 3 the 1dx which isn't even out yet and it kind of works with the 7d but you don't get the direction information um but this basically it's a unit that either fits in your hot shoe or connects to the camera via a, a usb cable and it's got its own battery so it's self-powered it doesn't drain the battery of the camera but it, it's relatively good. Um, I've had a little bit of a test with it so far. Um, it doesn't do great with a lot of tall buildings around. I was f- shooting with it in Shinjuku in Tokyo the other day. Um, and you move off by 10 meters or so when you're around uh, large buildings. But it does a good job. And, and if you use the map utility that comes with it, you can see the direction in which your camera was pointing when you took the photograph. Um, it 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 gives it gives you access to a few extra things like there's a, a GPS icon on the LCD on the top of the camera that uh, that will uh, flash if you don't have a GPS lock. Yeah. And you, you get the direction. Uh, actually, I should probably turn the camera on and just just as I speak for to for the sake of the people that are looking. But. Um, uh, no, actually I won't be able to do that because <laughs> I haven't got it turned on yet. Uh, but basically on the back of the camera you get the direction that, you pu- that your camera's pointing in as well so you could theoretically use something like Veloclock or the photographer's ephemeris to find out the azimuth that the sun's going to come up or the moon's going to come up on the horizon and just point your camera that way and get ready, I mean you can do that with a compass anyway but it makes things like that easier and it just tags, the Im- tags every image with the GPS coordinates so when you import them into Lightroom, they're already there on your map. Um, you can sync that information to other other uh, photos shot with a different now, camera now, and things Martin, like that as Martin, well. Martin,
0: I have a question for you. So this, and I know I don't know if we're we're there yet, but it seems to me this is my my layman geek brain at work. So if your camera knows where it is, right? It knows where it is within a certain margin of error on the planet. And now you're yeah. saying that camera knows the azimuth that it's pointing in, right? So it knows. So it knows where it's looking, the CPU yeah. in the camera is communicating with the CPU in the lens, so it knows what it's focused on, thereby it knows how far that thing that it's focused on is away from it. How come we can't just do the math and say that the GPS coordinates for this image, when Martin takes the picture is where that image is rather than where the camera is. Because who cares where the camera mm. is? I care where the image that the camera is taking is. How come we can't tag it with that instead of the location of the camera body? I think,
3: I think I'd like to see both. I would like to see, for the sake of going to a place and actually standing there and shooting a similar image or, or your yeah. own take on it, yeah. then you need to know where the camera was. But I think that it won't be very long before you'll be able to see like a mapped version where the images are maybe in 3D are actually yeah. laid on top of a map where they were. That's what I'm talking um, about, yeah. Uh, I think even um, Adobe or s- some big company a-, a few years ago created a like a 3D environment where it would actually take your uh, your photographs and from the relationship just between the photographs it built a three D world.
0: That was Microsoft, um, wasn't it? Was,
3: was, it was, it was. was it was. it was, Photosynth, was Microsoft.
0: Right? Photosynth, I think, was yeah. the software.
3: Yeah, that's exactly it. Um yeah. I couldn't remember that. Yeah. They that that was quite impressive. Um and with GPS coordinates, you'd you would you know, you basically you'd take that to another level. It'd be so much more accurate. Yeah. Um so but I mean, it's for me. I'm I'm just really happy at the moment because I've I've tried, you know, like creating track logs, geo encoding, and over over the years using my iPhone and things like that. But it, I'm although I'm a relatively uh, early adopter, I don't like processes that are too lengthy and I, and with especially with my with my photographs, I prefer things just to work. Yeah. And for now, for the first time. It, it just works. If you, it, it's embedded in the image when I uh, import them, and if I don't need to see the direction information, I can see it right there in, in Lightroom. So for me, this is like the first time that I will seriously start thinking about geo encoding my images. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Um, cool. was, that, think... was that, was that
0: going to cost the Canon users to, to get that piece of kit?
3: Uh here in Japan it cost me twenty just over twenty thousand yen, which um is probably a, about three hundred two fifth two hundred and fifty dollars or so. Mm-hmm. Uh it's a little bit more expensive than the than the Nikon um GPS unit, I believe. Uh but it's you know it's self contained. It's uh, it's a little bit bigger than I thought. Um mm-hmm. it, it actually it actually feels it, it, it very similar to the um like radio poppers and things like yeah. uh there's a. Is that the is that the the other unit that
1: you That's can the, get there? Yeah, well, this is the uh, gp one. I've had uh, two. The, of them. I have the Doug Nikon. Doug is showing the Nikon GP1. version now
0: for the oh, listeners. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah,
1: this is the Nikon gp one. Oh, upside down. And I also have the uh, Chinese version for half the price. So I have two of them. I've used hmm. them for years, and they're extremely valuable because hmm. everything's geotagged. And um, you know, for me, I use them. Just to be able to know where I shot something in return in case of scouting, documenting yeah. that and so forth, really, really valuable.
0: Why? And as Martin, so, why? As Martin
1: says Lightroom supports it. So, so guys, both just,
0: to both of you, why? I mean, the I mean the the implementation on the cameras is, you know differs, and you know it looks great on that camera, Martin, but why not just build it into the camera? I mean, right, it's, right. why do you have to have like this Borg piece of gear hanging <laughs> yeah. off of your camera? How come I can't just have so, it inside the camera and I'll pay a little extra for it?
3: So I I, I actually had a, I did a mini review. Um, on, well, We can probably link to this in the show notes, but I did a mini review of this on the day that I got it on Google+. Plus, and a guy called Chris Miller jumped in with a lot of great information. He's He's got another... Um, another post on Google Plus that walks you through geo encoding and all of that, uh, which I, if you're getting into this stuff, I I suggest you check out because it's really good. But Chris made the point that they're probably, I mean, there are, there are a couple of things. If you embed it in the camera, then these things are quite battery intensive, and they mm. they will suck your battery dry a lot, so, a lot okay. m- more quickly sense. than yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing was that probably because of that. They'll get people saying, there'll be people on the support line all the time. Oh, my phone, my phone. Uh, my, phone. Um, <laughs> my, my, my camera is, is the battery's running, running down really quickly and all of that. And so we were, we were basically conversing about this, saying that it probably should be and probably will be in the camera before too long.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But the, the camera manufacturers could prevent that sort of thing by turning it off by default and just say, okay, yeah. it's in there when you That's want it. That's what I was going to say, yeah. You just right. Make it and, so that I have if,
0: to push a button or something exactly. or stand on one foot and, with one eye closed in order to activate the <laughs> GPS, you know.
3: And, and then you just, when you activate it, they just flash up a message, maybe the, for the first time only, just says, this will make your battery run down quicker. Is it okay? And you just say yes, and then you, you're you away. So yeah. it, it probably will be in. And there are some pocket pocket digital, you know, did, compact digitals that have it in as well. Um there was a guy on my Hokkaido workshop this year uh, from Australia who had a, I think it was a Sony, I'm not sure, um, a tiny little compact digital, and it had such good GPS built in that it could actually tell him, and it probably using the, 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 the focus distance information that you were talking about, Frederick, and he would point this thing. He bought it in Australia, and he would point this thing at a museum, and it would actually tell him in English or, or the you know alphabet on the on his screen. This is the such and such museum, That's and cool. he would yeah. he would point it out. We'd be driving along the road, uh, like the Google, like Google shop.
0: glasses, right? Google glasses right. is supposed to do literally. Like that. It, it would show him everything. It was excellent.
3: And that's built right into a few hundred-dollar po- uh, pocket digital. So it'll come. It'll be there soon, and they'll just work around the, the issues of battery. And battery life, I mean, is so good now. That yeah. It, it's yeah, not it, really but that I big I mean issue paid, and, you and paid you paid
0: what three hundred and something dollars or you know, the equivalent in yen to that. And my friend Joseph Lanaski, I know we did a workshop down in um guys a couple of years ago down in um uh Joshua Tree and he had a little GPS receiver that sort of was like this big. Mm. I don't know who made it, but you just it lasts forever, you turn it on, you put it in your pocket all day, mm. and then you matched up the GPS data later you know so right. you know there's a couple of extra steps but you're not walking around with a satellite dish on your camera and but yeah you, if you want
3: to you can take it off and put it in it's got it comes with a little pouch that where where's that gone um it comes with a little pouch that you can put it into and it's got a belt loop on it so okay. you can okay. you so you, you can, can do that same do thing for, you can do the same thing the, but the beauty of attaching it to the camera on the 7D the the 5D3 or the mark the the 1DX is that it will geotag each individual photograph. Got it. Um, and I mean, there's there's even a there's a switch on the top. It's got on or log. If you put it to on, all it does is geotags each image. If you put it onto log, it actually creates the, the a, a track log for you as well. So it. it's it's relatively. I mean, I don't want to sing its praises too much, but it's this to me is the first GPS uh, unit that I've bought, other than my what's in my phone, and it's it's really going to be my Initial entry to geotagging as as a regular thing so when you're, um, your it, next workshop
0: your next workshop will see a geo track of where you were in Hokkaido or wherever when you when you go and do your next workshop right
3: yeah, well you can actually <laughs> i mean even even with this year because I dragged all of the images to the points that we shot them in um, uh, in Lightroom now that we have maps in Lightroom. You can actually go, if you go to Flickr, you can see all of the images on a the map there because they're all geotagged or geoencoded. Um, but yeah, I mean, from from next, from now on, it's going to be much easier to, to just to do that.
0: Very cool. All right. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, you'll have to let me know how that goes because you just got that thing, right, Martin? So you'll, you'll give yeah. us a full report on how it operated? Absolutely.
3: Once I once I've got more chance to to actually take some some good lengthy logs, I'll I'll do a full review on my blog and link to it on the on Google Plus and everywhere.
0: Excellent. All right, next up with the pick of the week is Mr. Ron Brinkman. Ron, what's your pick?
2: Uh yeah, just just a quick one, a little, uh, little iPhone app that's kind of neat. It's called Slow Pro and uh it lets you shoot slow motion video on your iPhone and it's <laughs> it's a clever little trick they do if you're shooting the iPhone natively supports a couple of other, and this is just, I think, just for the 4S. natively supports shooting at up to 60 frames a second. Uh, and normally, uh, by default, if you're just using the Apple tools, you shoot at 60 frames a second, then you will always play back at 60 frames a second. But basically, the way slow-mo works is you shoot at a higher frame rate than what you're playing it back at. So what this app lets you do is you shoot at the native 60 frames a second. And it's not full resolution. It's like the 720 version. mm mm-hmm. And then it sets a little tag in the playback that tells you to play it back at 30 frames a second or maybe even 24. And so effectively you get sort of a 50% slowdown or something like, like, like that. So it's not that awesome, super-duper slow-mo kind of thing, but it is a nice kind of an effect. And if you're editing together little videos um, and something dramatics going on, it's kind of nice to be able to have that out there. And it's, it's free. It's a free app. So oh, just wow. search okay. for SlowPro and grab it while it's free, I guess. Very cool, but kind right. of fun.
0: Slow this S L O P R O iPhone. Correct. Out. Yeah. Cool. All right, we'll definitely link to that one. All right, Doug, what is your pick of the week?
1: Well, I went running around this week thinking, what have I got that I haven't already told people about? And you know, <laughs> you I, have to I start buying some, stuff. Come on, don't say that. Don't <laughs> no. say that. heresy. <laughs> <Get> in bed, <laughs> uh, But I, uh, uh, I don't like using the camera straps that come with the cameras. Uh, one reason is I don't like advertising the model of my camera, uh, especially if I'm doing street photography. I don't want, I mean, Nikon doesn't say D3S on the D3S or anything, but uh, I think the D4 probably does. So anyway, and they also slip off my shoulder and all that. So yeah. I researched it and I found uh, a while ago, and I've been using it for quite a while. doesn't look that interesting on the thing, but it's called an upstrap. Upstrap uh, makes s- just little simple camera straps this one is $30. This is the Model SG. It's just a nylon strap. You can even get them in Kevlar. You can get rubber <laughs> rubber shoulder pieces and Kevlar straps. Uh, I don't bother. I use another. And this I particularly use for my, let's get into the discussion, my crop sensor bodies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the D7000, which is, you know, compared to the other stuff, a small, lightweight camera. Yep. And uh, this is the one that I might have around my neck. Whereas I might be using a big black rabbit strap for something that's over my shoulder, and um, this way it's just a it 's just a nice strap, so check out upstrap there are URLs in the show notes, and the one I'm using is the sG
0: very cool all right thanks for thirty that. bucks thirty was it thirty bucks
1: thirty dollars u s yep
0: love it love it all right uh, Martin was at three hundred Mar- <laughs> Ron was at free Doug's at thirty bucks. mine is kind of free, but not so much. Okay, so my my pick of the week is my blog. It is, <laughs> and it's not narcissistic. Uh, there's a method <laughs> to my madness, so maybe a little narcissistic. Um, so I just relaunched my blog. I'm very excited about it. So if you would, please check it out and let me know what you think. It's at frederickvan.com. That's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-K van.com uh but the thing that this my pick of the week is what's powering my photo gallery so if you click on the the gallery link um on the site in the in the navigation it'll take you to to one page just start cycling through images and the thing that's powering that is slideshow pro and i talked about them i don't know maybe two years ago a year ago but they're still around and they're really good so right now people may say well why don't you just use smug mug or something like that and i do use smug mug i use smug mug for all of my galleries that i do for clients and everything goes up to smug mug religiously but for this i wanted something that i could control locally and the way slideshow works is you go in you you buy it basically is a, a hosted service so you go in you set up your account you upload your images and you they give you embed code kind of like youtube that you embed in your site but it's a glorious beautiful website friendly gallery that you're embedding not only do you embed not only is it beautiful when you look at it on like your your mac or your windows machine but it automatically detects what machine is looking at it. So if you're looking at it on an iPhone, it's going to deliver you a resolution of the source image that's designed specifically for that device that's viewing it. So it's not dumb. It's not, you know, hey, Frederick uploaded, you know, whatever resolution images and everybody gets those. It delivers the correct resolution of image based on the browser size and the device that's looking at that particular image and sizes the next image that's being queued up to be delivered to the appropriate size. So it's really smart. You can do things in Slideshow Pro like set up smart galleries. So I can create a gallery and I could say stuff like you know, during the month of December, show my Christmas gallery. And then after that, show my New Year's gallery. And then after that, show my Valentine's, you know, I could do that kind of stuff and have it automated and it just automatically happens. So it's really powerful and it's really clean and I think their their methodology of design sort of meshes with my brain in terms of really clean, slick, kind of Apple-like UI. So I like I like the way they do things. So definitely check them out. Slideshow Pro. Dot net
3: I am so getting this. <laughs> are you looking at it now, uh, Martin? yeah, yeah got some nice there's, pictures on there, Frederick oh thank yeah. you, thank you, yeah, you I mean, I, I could I, do it I, justice
0: there's there's so much that it does that I can't even talk about in this short little time, but it's just amazing I can't say enough good things about it very
3: nice i one other thing that I really find cool is is the picture of you in the top there in when you're in the military that's a really cool photo. <laughs> yeah. Very
0: cool. Oh might Yeah, yeah. That was that was when I was a young little whippersnapper. Do, do you notice that camera I'm holding there? That's a yeah. That's a that's a Kodak DCS 420. That's the, one of the first. I think the first digital camera out of Kodak was a 400 or a 410. That's the 420. That camera you can,
3: you it, can tell with the big huge bottom. It's like it's this. a
0: hard drive in that thing. There's a hard <laughs> a spinning hard drive in there. The resolution is 1.5 megapixels, Woo-hoo! and get okay. The ISO range, Doug, you'll be able to appreciate this with that yeah. uh, D7000 you're holding right now. So the ISO range is 100 to 400.
1: <laughs> so,
3: and 400 was unusable.
1: Yeah, for yeah, totally. Yeah, we're, totally. Trying, yeah, we're for, talking. We're we're talking uh, triax.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah triax on a good day. <laughs> on a good day. So anyway, yeah, definitely check it out. I wrote up I wrote up a little bit about that camera and uh, the about me section of my blog. So please check it out. It's me uh, sort of opening the kimono, Martin. You know what that means? <laughs> 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 All right, guys, we were, we're having too much fun. We are at the end the end of another episode of this Week in photo. Martin Bailey, where can people go to find out more about you? Uh
3: if you, you know these days, I'm, I tend to be on Google Plus more than anywhere else, and you can get to me there at mbp.ac/gplus. Uh, but everything is linked from my website at
2: martinbaileyphotography.com.
0: Excellent. All right, and Mr. Ron Brinkman with two Ns, Where are you at online?
2: Uh, Twitter is just Ron Brinkman. I'm on Google Plus at some long string of digits and, uh, (laughs) digitalcomposting.com is my... You should uh, register
0: that if it's not registered. Just register the word, the phrase long long string string of of random digits. digits. I like that. Yeah.
2: You, You know what? There should be a rush of
3: people running out and actually... Uh, get in dom- those digits just registering that as a domain. That would be really cool. Just- <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. dot com.
0: Yeah, yeah. Only geeks would get the humor in that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, and Mr. Doug K, where are you at on the internet?
1: I'm, I'm also pretty much everywhere. Doug K, Kay, K A Y E at the end. Uh, Google Plus is where I spend all my time, but there's also K dot com.
0: Excellent. Thanks, guys. And listeners, to keep up with everything, everything in the This Week in Photo universe, check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. And, of course, speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with our shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me and my various projects at my new site frederickvan.com and Hooray. with <laughs> yeah, you have no idea i'm telling you man <laughs> anyway with that it is time to take that lens cap off, off.